Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. You're listening to a Weeby Geeks Network podcast. Welcome to Rhyme City, a celebration of the harmony between humans and Pokemon. Tim, your dad was a legend in this precinct. If you were anything like your dad, I'm not. I remember. You wanted to be a Pokemon trainer when you were young. Yeah, that didn't really work out. Someone there? Whoever you are, I know how to use this. Oh, jeez. Here we go. I know you can't understand me, but put down the stapler or I will electrocute you. Did you just talk? Whoa. Did you just understand me? Oh my God, you can understand me. Stop. I've been so lonely. They try to talk to me all the time. All they hear is Pika Pika. Uh, you can hear him, right? Pika Pika. Yeah. Pika Pika Pika, he's adorable. You're adorable. They can't understand me, kid. Can no one else hear him? I don't need a Pokemon. Period. Then what about a world-class detective? Because if you want to find your pops, I'm your best bet. We're gonna do this, you and me. There's magic that brought us together, and that magic is called hope. Listen up. We got ways to make you talk. Or mine. Yeah. So tell us what we want to know. Pipe. Yes. Okay. I can. Shoving. Pushing. My problem is that I push people away and then hate them for leaving. He's saying you can shove it. What? I can shove it? Okay, that's it. No, we're switching roles. I'm bad cop. You're good cop. No, 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 no. We're not cops. In my head, I saw that differently. Another world, another time, in the age of wonder. There was once a dream, you could only whisper it. Anything more than a whisper, and it would vanish. A battle between good and evil! You don't know the power of the dark side. Where shall I find a new adversary so close to my own level? Try the local sewer. You know of the rebellion against the Empire? The Avengers, Earth's mightiest heroes. Peace means having a bigger stick than the other guy. One of these days, I'm gonna have a stick of my own. I'm Groot. Welcome to the Neverland Podcast. The podcast for lovers of Disney, Pixar, Marvel, and Star Wars. I'm glad you're here to tell us these things. Please welcome your host, Jeremy. I thought he'd be taller. Yeah, I can fly. All it takes is faith. Trust. Well, if it isn't the Star-Spangled Man with a plan, what is your plan today? Up to Neverland! Take your pixie out of your pockets, Neverlanders. Sprinkle some of that pixie dust around and think that happiest thought because we are going to fly away to Middle-Earth. I mean, Neverland. Neverland. I meant Neverland. Totally, I, I totally meant Neverland. Didn't mean to say Middle-Earth. Truly. Sort of. All right, so yes, we're going to take a trip to Middle-Earth. But we have a reason because it's a Fox searchlight picture and Fox is now a Disney company. They released the Tolkien film this weekend and I had a chance to go and check it out. I also went ahead and watched Detective Pikachu and yes, there is a Disney connection even in Detective Pikachu and we'll talk about that later. So that is sort of the main things we have going on this week. I'm also going to talk up a few things that I've been kind of sitting on for a few weeks. We haven't really had any Disney news and I have a few things I kind of wanted to bring up that's 
kind of maybe older stuff, but maybe you haven't heard anything about any of this. I don't know. I figured, you know what? I still want to talk about some of these things. So we're going to do that as well. But I also want to congratulate all the grads, all of you who are graduating here this month. Uh, today, was, it's, it's been an interesting month for me with graduating because uh, I graduated basically what would be early in like a normal high school school year. I graduated in December, but a lot of people that I had classes with and several classes with graduated from the University of Central Missouri uh, this weekend, and I've been looking at photos of them and watching them all graduate. I'm just proud as punch of all of them, you know. Uh, these are people, of course, 20 years my, my junior that are now going out into the world. They're going to do great things. I just know it, and uh, I left a little bit of encouragement with them because, you know, if you look at me, I mean... I'm about to turn 42 this month, I know, but I never grow up. Okay, let's get that straight. I don't grow up. By the way, I'm the Spider-Pan Jeremy. Perhaps you uh, don't know me already, and if you're new to the show, hi, and welcome to Neverland. Uh, but I, you know, I've, I, I'm working in a job. I'm in the field that I wanted to work in, but I'm not making a lot of money. I'm not working a whole lot of hours, but this is like that early beginnings of my career. And so I did post in the in a Facebook group that we have for uh, my department that I graduated from, like, do not be afraid to take that low-end job if it's doing what you want to do, because you may have to start small and build up to something. Uh, I have some people that, uh, that graduated, one person graduated with me, another one graduated this weekend, uh, that these two ladies are now working at a TV news station. Uh, so that's exciting. Uh, they jumped, got right in on something. But that's not going to happen with everybody who graduates. You know, you're going to have to sometimes start small. You may even have to work on a, some side hustle, which I am working on some side hustle ideas that uh, I'll tell you a little bit more about when we get a little bit more developed. I'm about to partner with some other podcasters and start perhaps a little bit of a different YouTube channel. Uh, that's It's still kind of in the works. We're still... Trying to find our angle uh, is, I guess, how we're looking at it. Uh, I, you know, I'm I'm not good at figuring out the angles of this, but uh, all I know is something cool is going to be happening, and we're hoping it becomes a profitable YouTube channel uh, that I have a good side hustle, and maybe I won't have to drive anymore. Who knows? We're working on that, uh, but I've got all these skills. And it's about time I put them to use. And one thing I need to put myself to use for is uh, something I guess I'm getting pretty good at because what I do at a radio station is I'm, I'm giving some of the morning news. And uh, that just says to me I need to give some news to you about what's going on in some of the Disney parks. Disney and Geek Universe to bring you the best in comics, toys, movies, and entertainment. This is news from around Neverland. Well, one thing, there are some new posters here that, uh, for Disney's California Adventure, they have been building the Inside Out Emotional Whirlwind over in Pixar Pier. It's opening this summer. And they have these really neat posters that they've posted up on the blog, the Disney Parks blog. Train of Thought, Visit Cloud Town, Get Carried Away, uh, Cruise the Subconscious, and Abstract Thought. And all these posters, they, you'd, you'd have to really see the design to really get some of the fun of what they're doing with it. But it really pulls a lot from the film Inside Out. And you know, I really like these posters. And uh, I wish I could get out to Pixar Pier this summer and come and, tr and try this. I don't really know a whole lot about this attraction. Uh, they've, of course, kept it boarded up. I think a few photos have kind of gotten leaked with people trying to get pictures of this new attraction. Uh, but it's definitely coming up very soon. Something else very soon coming is that space-themed restaurant. We mentioned it a long time ago. That's coming into Epcot, and it's part of the uh, new Mission Space attraction. And we have learned just a little bit that the Patina Restaurant Group is going to operate this restaurant. And they've got internationally inspired cuisine with more than a thousand bottles of the world's finest wines and a wide selection of craft beer. So you're going to have a lot more alcohol available to you in Epcot. And a lot of different variety of food apparently from a more international point of view. But if, if this is supposed to be like you're in an international space station, then that makes sense. And really, I've only gotten to see the same 
uh, sort of promotional image that they've, you know, it's, they've created, it's not an actual photo, where people are sitting in a restaurant and it looks out the windows like you're orbiting the Earth and there's an astronaut kind of waving as he's floating by, you know. So we don't really know any more about the look of the, the uh, attraction other than that. Something else, though, exciting, and it's not really fully open until uh, apparently this fall, but the new gondolas over at Walt Disney World have been unwrapped so we've gotten to you know it's called the disney skyliner but we've gotten a, a look now at what these are going to look like and they're basically designed to look like uh disney characters are riding on the gondolas uh they're very very fun i mean they're all different colors and they look like they would be you know uh well if they were like an open gondola you know or with windows that's kind of what it looks like but instead of windows you have pictures of disney characters like pluto and even madame leota and things like that. So we've got a chance. There's some great photos on the Disney Parks blog to take a look at those. They look really, really neat. Now, uh, some things that happened from before. Uh, there was a lot of rumors and stuff flying around that on Disney Plus they were going to be doing some censoring of Dumbo and uh, maybe removing the scene with the crows, and also that they were not going to have Song of the South as an availability. But uh, it has been noted. We have not heard from Disney. We've heard from news sources that this was going to happen, but we've not heard anything directly from Disney saying that this was going to happen. So uh, I've been seeing Chris Lucas, you know, the writer of the Top Ten Disney, has been around telling people, hey, you know, we haven't had a direct source from Disney, so let's not run with this yet. Although uh, we've got a lot of even some important, uh, reliable sources have been, you know, putting this news out, but still, you know, we haven't necessarily heard from Disney. Now the question with this would be, if you take that crow scene out of Dumbo, it really takes away from the plot of how Dumbo learns he can fly. So it's kind of an important scene. But now this is this is very interesting. So Floyd Norman, the first African-American animator, worked with Walt, has some things to say. He wrote a very nice blog post about these black crows and other PC nonsense is what he's said about it and I want to pick the right section out of this uh, but I mean he basically says this is baloney that the these crows were not at all a racist thing even though one of them is named Jim they were actually Walt kind of poking at Jim Crow laws and saying how it's a terrible thing and they were actually they were kind of like you know in the Jungle Book you had those vultures where they were like a parody of the Beatles these characters were based upon a group. Now let me read for you a section here. It said, Some years ago, I had the opportunity to spend a Saturday afternoon in nearby Highland Park with Disney legend Ward Kimball. Among the other things we spoke about was the jazzy crow sequence in the movie Dumbo. Kimball's comments were laconic and insightful. He spoke in a measured cadence that was characteristically Kimball as he took me back to the early 40s when a very young Walt Disney was busy bringing the animated classic to the screen. Kimball was the animation director and was determined to make the film's third act the most entertaining. Inspired by the black entertainers of the early 40s and fueled by catchy tunes provided by songwriter Ned Washington, who wrote When You Wish Upon a Star, the sequence is pure Disney magic. If you remember the story, a group of cool crows nesting in a field decide to have some fun at the elephant's expense. After Timothy Mouse scolds the feather group, they soon have a change of heart and decide to encourage the little elephant. The song they sing is pure fun and entertainment, and the animation is inspired. It's the turnaround song for Dumbo, and his life will never be the same. If you'll recall, I did the same thing many years later in another Walt Disney movie called The Jungle Book. Much like the black, black crows singing scat, we had little Mowgli encouraged by another group of cool birds who encouraged him with a song. Yet there was no controversy over these singing birds who just happened to sound like another famous musical group from Liverpool. So, yes... He goes on to talk about these black crows were based off of a group that had been on African-American singers that inspired this group that they were kind of going in for their style and their characteristics, the way they, they talked. They were, you know, they were going along to be an equivalent. So, and also it's a little bit of sarcasm that apparently wasted is what they also said because, you know, the Jim Crow thing being a uh, oppressive, you know, a jab at the oppressive South, it was basically sarcasm that they went there. And, uh, of course, Floyd Norman goes to say, you know, 
Walt Disney's animated classic is not racist, nor were the people who made the movie, and I was privileged to know and work with most of them. The only thing these talented men and women wanted us to bring was the very best Disney entertainment to the screen, and this crazy era of PC nonsense, I thought you should know that. My good friend Disney legend Ward Kimball animated these jazzy clowns back in the 40s, and if you want to find Walt Disney's Dumbo racist, that's your problem. So, a very good blog written up by Floyd Norman, and you can read a lot of his other writings here. Uh, if you go to floydnormancom.squarepace.com, uh, there's Mr. Fun's journal, and he's, you know, all of his writings up there. Uh, he's just, you know, he's a great guy. If you haven't watched the documentary that was made about him, it's a great documentary. So, that's, you know, where that sits. Uh, also, I want to bring up, now turning a corner, the Marvel Gamerverse. A new Marvel line of comics based on the games of Marvel games. So far, the only thing I've seen is for the Spider-Man game. I have read a couple issues. It's pretty good. They're kind of recapping the story of the game, trying not to spoil too much of the fun of the game. Uh, so that's a new thing coming. I also I haven't seen this yet, but there is supposed to be a Galaxy's Edge comic that is telling some of the story of Galaxy's Edge before it opens. I haven't seen any of this anywhere. I have a feeling that it has been published, and it's just selling so fast that I'm not getting a chance to see it. I'm going to keep my eyes open. If anybody finds that, then let me know. But speaking of finding things, you all know how I've been looking everywhere for Mickey bars, right? The, that are supposed to be in stores, and they're supposed to be Target was supposed to be having them up here uh, in Missouri. Well, I didn't find them at Target. I found them at a price chopper. But I finally found me some, and it was delicious to eat. I'm so happy to have a Mickey bar here at home. They're a little smaller than what you'd find in the park, but they taste fantastic. But now moving on to some other news, something that uh, popped up a little bit ago, you know, a couple weeks ago, a new fireworks display for Mickey's Not-So-Scary Halloween Party. And this is the first time, first time in like 14 years that they have had a new fireworks display. Now, I don't know a whole lot about this fireworks display, but it's going to be cool because it's it's Disney fireworks, right? But, of course, they are planning to have the return to the Boo to You Halloween Parade. Uh, there's going to be a storybook, Circus Disney Junior Jam fantasy, in Fantasyland. That's going to be for young partygoers to get the groove on with Doc McStuffins and Vampirina going on during there. And, you know, just lots, a lot of the regular fun trick-or-treating throughout the park. So, Not So Scary is coming course very soon and you can actually I'll go ahead and order your tickets already uh, on the one of the websites but there's gonna be a brand new fireworks display uh, the show will take guests along a trick-or-treating adventure where four friends Mickey Minnie Donald and Goofy find themselves drawn into a mysterious haunted house the journey takes them from one room of the house to another encountering dancing skeletons waltzing ghosts and a whole series of troublemaking Disney villains. Sounds like a whole lot of fun is coming. So I, you know, I wish I could get out there. Uh, but yeah, heck, if you're going to go out there for Halloween, there's going to be a Stranger Things 2 thing going on over at Halloween Horror Nights over at Universal. But we're not interested in Universal, are we? I don't know, but Universal's also got, on June 13th, opening Hagrid's Magical Creatures Motorbike Adventure. And we have learned some details about this ride. That's basically Hagrid taking his class to fly over the creatures because, well, it's safer to fly over the creatures than to interact with some of the creatures that Hagrid thinks are, uh, are cute and not dangerous at all. We've also learned a couple weeks ago that Natalie Portman is going to narrate a Disney nature film called Dolphin Reef. Uh, and... It sounds like this is actually going to be something on Disney Plus, so this isn't something we're waiting for next, you know, April uh, to to release. Kind of like how Disney Nature normally does something. This sounds like something coming from Disney Plus, from what I've been hearing. Uh, so we'll be looking forward to that because she's already voicing the narration. Uh, something else we can looking forward to is a Qui Gon and Obi Wan book is being published by Penguin Random House. It's called Master and Apprentice by Claudia Gray. Uh, that is coming up very soon. Let me see if I can find that date. I should have looked this up before. Yes. Uh, oh, actually, it is out now. It came out April 16th. See what happens when I don't cover my news, you know, for two, like two weeks, but I wanted to talk about it. That book is out now. Also, I have seen where... Bob Gurr, though. Bob Gurr has a book coming out also very soon, I just saw, which, you know, Bob Gurr, if you know, he's an Imagineer from way back, but has wheels that he's responsible for it in a Disney park. Uh... Disney also was offered to buy some controlling stock in a Korean mobile game company. I'm not sure where, where this is going, but apparently uh, this is a big deal for a lot of mobile games. Uh, also, in the course of the last couple of weeks, Disney donated $5 million to help rebuild the Notre Dame Cathedral, which kind of made sense after the Hunchback of Notre Dame. So I'm not really that surprised about that. 
the Mickey, the Mickey Mouse shorts that are currently airing have been renewed for a sixth season with some seven-minute shorts instead of three minutes. So we're getting more of those newer Mickey Mouse uh, type of cartoons. Also, there is some work happening, speaking of mice, of Mighty Mouse making his way into a live-action film. We don't know much more about that, but we know it is on its way because that's what it is. Here he comes to save the day. So... That is some of the fun coming to you very, very soon in cinemas. Uh, we don't know how long it's going to take, though, to make this Mighty Mouse movie. Right now, it seems to be in a lot of discussion, but it is coming. This is your Neverland story time. You can listen along with your MP3 device. You will know it is time to listen when you hear the chime like this. Let's begin now. This is the story of The Hobbit. You can read along with me in your book. You will know it is time to turn the page when you hear the chimes ring like this. Let's begin now. As everyone knows, hobbits are small, quiet folk who live small, quiet lives in snug, underground homes. They never, ever visit the world outside, nor do they ever seek adventure. But this is the story of a special hobbit who did once have an adventure, and an exciting one it was. His name was Bilbo Baggins. One fine Wednesday morning, who should appear at Bilbo's door but 13 dwarves and Gandalf the Wandering Wizard? Mr. Baggins, I have an adventure in mind for you. Bilbo blinked twice in astonishment. Surely you don't want me. I'm only a simple hobbit. Actually, it's my 13 friends who want you. They have need of a clever burglar, and I've told them you would be excellent for the job. This is Thorin, their leader. A richly dressed dwarf stepped forward and bowed. Let us go inside and refresh ourselves, and I will explain. Far to the east lies Lonely Mountain. Thorin began while Bilbo set out the goblets. Long ago, our people lived there in harmony, digging gold and jewels and making beautiful treasures. But the day came when Smaug, the fire-breathing dragon, drove us away and stole our home and treasures. He lives there still. Thorin turned to Bilbo. Gandalf says you are a fine burglar and will be useful in getting our treasure back from Smaug. When Bilbo heard this, he fainted away. Ah! Thorin frowned. A brave burglar you found us, wizard! Don't worry, Thorin. Mr. Baggins will prove himself very useful before your journey is over. Early the next morning, Gandalf, Bilbo, and the dwarves set out on the winding road to the east. Bilbo was grumbling. I really don't know why I'm here. I wish I were back in my hobbit hole beside my warm fire. Gandalf chuckled. <laughs> come, come, Bilbo. This will be a great adventure, one you'll not soon forget. After many days' travel, the adventurers began winding their way up into the mountains. Suddenly, as they struggled up a narrow path, a terrible thunderstorm burst upon them. This way, quickly! shouted Thorin. A dry cave! Wet and tired, they all crowded inside. Soon a warm fire was burning, and in no time at all, Everyone was fast asleep. Late that night, Bilbo was awakened by a strange scraping sound. He stared in disbelief as the stone wall slowly opened. Out of the darkness leaped huge, ugly goblins. In a twinkling, the adventurers were captured. As they stumbled down a dark tunnel, Bilbo looked desperately for Gandalf, but he was not to be found. Bilbo and the dwarves found themselves in a large cavern deep in the mountain. Before them, on a throne, sat the great goblin himself. Who are these miserable persons? He scowled. 
Thorin stepped forward. We are only traveling dwarves looking for dry shelter. We did not mean to trespass. Liar! boomed the great goblin, and he lunged at Thorin. Just at that moment, the cavern went dark. Then, dazzling white sparks exploded. The goblins fell back, blinded. It's Gandalf! cried Bilbo. His magic has saved us. Gandalf called to his friend. Follow me, quickly. We must get out of the mountain. They all rushed through the dark, twisting tunnels, running faster and faster. And no matter how fast Bilbo ran, the others ran faster. His short hobbit legs couldn't keep up. Soon, he was lost. For hours, Bilbo wandered through the endless dark tunnels, until at last he came to an underground lake. On the shore, something glittered. A gold ring. This will make a nice souvenir to show back home. If I ever do get back home. Bilbo put the ring in his pocket. But this was no ordinary ring. It was magic. Whoever placed it on his finger would become quite invisible. The ring belonged to a slimy creature named Gollum, who lived on a rock in the middle of the lake. Gollum liked to slip the ring on his finger, sneak up on people, and gobble them up. That's the kind of fellow Gollum was. Gollum had just spied Bilbo. He slipped into the water and swam ashore. It looks tasty, it does. He hissed as he approached the hobbit. Stay back, warned Bilbo, gripping his sword. I am Bilbo Baggins, and I am lost. Can you show me the way out of this mountain? Gollum squinted his large, lamp-like eyes. Perhaps we can make a deal. We'll have a riddle game. If you win, I show you the way out. If I win, I gobble you up. It wasn't much of a deal, but Bilbo agreed. They traded riddles for some time. Finally, Bilbo won. But Gollum was a poor sport and decided to eat Bilbo anyway. Gollum swam off to get his ring so he could sneak up on Bilbo. But of course, he couldn't find it. It's gone! He howled and dashed back to find the hobbit. But Bilbo had accidentally slipped the ring on his finger and vanished. Curse him and crush him, moaned Gollum. He's gone too. He didn't realize he was looking right through the little hobbit. Bilbo slipped away and fled down the dark goblin tunnels, eventually finding his way out of the mountain. Pocketing his ring, he rejoined Gandalf and the dwarves. Thorin was amazed. We had to fight our way out. How did you escape? Bilbo thought of his magic ring and smiled. We burglars are quite clever. We're invisible, you might say. A few days later, Gandalf made a shocking announcement. I must leave you now. I'm sending Mr. Baggins with you. That should be enough. The burglar? Asked Thorin, thinking Bilbo was a sorry substitute for a wizard. But in the weeks that followed, the little hobbit proved himself again and again. Twice Bilbo and his magic ring turned tragedy into triumph. Once by defeating the great spiders, and again by escaping from the wood elves' dungeon. Little by little, Bilbo began to enjoy adventuring. At long last, the company reached Lake Town, at the base of Lonely Mountain. Men lived there, brave men, like Bard the Hunter. It was said that Bard could shoot an arrow farther and straighter than anyone. The lake people hated the dragon Smaug as much as the dwarves did, and they gave the adventurers all possible help for the last part of their journey. After a long, hard climb, the brave little company found itself at a secret door 
in the stony cliffs of Lonely Mountain. Behind that door was the home of Smaug, the dragon. Thorin turned to Bilbo. It is now time for you to perform the service for which you were hired. Go burgle something. As Bilbo made his way down a dark tunnel, he told himself, A few more steps and you'll see old Smaug himself. It's true you are afraid, but if you go on now, it will be the bravest thing you've ever done. And on he went. In the great hall, Bilbo found the terrible dragon lying asleep, breathing fiery blasts. The hobbit breathed a sigh of relief. He fills the entire hall, whispered Bilbo in awe. I am no bigger than one of his claws. Bilbo stepped up to the large mound of gold and jewels that was the dwarf's stolen treasure. Nervously, he plucked up one small gold cup. Then, mighty Smaug awoke. Quick as a wink, Bilbo put on his magic ring. Smaug's blazing eyes peered through the gloom. Ho, thief! I know you're here. What do you want? Oh, Smaug, I only came to see if you are as great as people say you are. If you are a little hobbit, it is wise to be polite to dragons. Smaug laughed his fiery laugh. <laughs> you must be one of those ignorant lake men. Well, as you can see, I am truly great. But I have heard the dragons are soft underneath. <sighs> then you've heard wrong, thief. Smaug reared up, revealing a chest covered with gold and jewels. No weapon can pierce this armor. Bilbo searched carefully, and there was what he sought. Just below the dragon's neck was a tiny, unprotected spot. Aha! He thought, and he backed into the tunnel, popped off his ring, and held up the gold cup. You're a sorry match for my burgling, Smaug. And he darted away. No one steals from me, roared the dragon, and out of the mountain he flew in a rage. Bilbo sped down the mountain to warn the lake people. Spying a small bird, he cried out to it. Go and tell Bard the hunter to look for the bare spot under Smaug's neck. Meanwhile, Smaug was flying over Lake Town, burning down buildings with his fiery breath. The lake men were helpless. But the small bird had delivered Bilbo's message. Bard the hunter took careful aim and shot an arrow deep into the bare spot below Smaug's neck. The dragon fell into the lake, his flaming breath changing to steam in the water. Smaug was dead. So the people of Lake Town were saved, and the dwarves regained their home and their treasure. And Bilbo returned to his nice, quiet hobbit hole. Every now and again, he would recall his part in the adventure. It had given him bravery, treasure, and a magic ring. Gandalf had been right. Bilbo had had an adventure. One he would never forget. The greatest adventure is what lies ahead. Today and tomorrow are yet to be said. The chances, the changes are all yours to make. The mold of your life is in your hands to break. There'll be spectacle, there'll be fantasy, there'll be daring do and stuff like you would never see. Maybe a movie, yeah, yeah we're, we're gonna, gonna be a movie, starring everybody and me. Boy, I wish 
how are you people seeing this for the first time? Kermit, I got a great picture of the chicken. Oh, good. So there I was. I woke up with a heavy case of amnesia in the middle of nowhere. The only clue to my past is Harry's name and address inside this hat. So I made my way to the apartment, and that's when I found you and your stapler gun. Stop talking! You're a hallucination! You're a hallucination. So you're a talking Pikachu with no memories who's addicted to caffeine. I could stop whenever I want. These are just choices. Another round, extra shot. Black as night. Thank you, sweetie. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe Harry got in too deep. Mixed up with the wrong crowd, that kind of thing. Look, you can talk to humans. I can talk to Pokemon. And if you want to find your pops, we're going to need each other. No, I don't need a Pokemon. What about a world-class detective? Ah, my clues. What is all this? Harry is still alive. Case closed, but still open until I solve it. All right, here it is. Harry faked his own death. Or somebody else faked Harry's death. Or Harry faked somebody else's death. That last one doesn't work no. at all. dealt with this putz before, so I'll just do it again. Hey, bud, what are you doing? I can't do it when people are watching. Get me the hell out of here! For more than 15 years, kids all over the world have been discovering the enchanting world of Pokemon. And today, the Pokemon family of products includes video games, the Pokemon trading card game, the Pokemon animated TV series, movies, toys, and much more. The games encourage strategic thinking and, in many cases, basic math skills. Pokemon puts a strong emphasis on good sportsmanship and respect for others as well. And many parents feel that the Pokemon TCG and Pokemon video games encourage their children to learn to read since reading is required in most Pokemon games. This is at Pokemon.com and it's part of a parent's guide. They even explain what Pokemon are. They say Pokemon are creatures of all shapes and sizes who live in the wild or alongside humans. For the most part, Pokemon do not speak except to utter their names. Pokemon are raised and commanded by their owners, called trainers. During their adventures, Pokemon grow and become more experienced and even on occasion evolve into stronger Pokemon. There are more, currently more than 700 creatures that inhabit the Pokemon universe. This, actually, the first game was released in 1998. I remember, actually, when I started at a community college after I'd graduated high school. About 5 o'clock in the morning, the animated series would come on on a syndicated station, and I watched a few episodes, enough to where I actually knew some of the stuff going into Pokemon Detective Pikachu. I knew who some of these creatures actually were. Now, I, of course, I've had my issues with Pokemon because if you really break it down to what you're doing, you're going into the wild, you're capturing wild Pokemon in a little ball, and then forcing them, forcing them to fight other Pokemon, Pokemon in the guise of training them. And I don't know, that just that seems unethical to me. It seems very, very strange. So you would think overall, because I'm not a fan of Pokemon, you would think I would have maybe skipped Detective Pikachu. But after seeing the trailers, I was kind of interested. It looked like it might be kind of fun. And it does establish that in the city where the story mainly takes place, there are no trainers or fighting Pokemon allowed. You're not supposed to be having your Pokemon fight. Of course, we do get to see an illegal match happening. Uh, so... You know, it's overall, it gives you a good setting where it gets away from where I would have kind of issues with it because I don't think you, it's, it seems weird that you're taking a, a sentient animal, basically, and forcing it to fight. That's like dog fighting. When we have people who uh, illegally have dogs fight each other, 
uh, you know, I, if it's not cool in the real world, why is it cool in this fictional world? I, you know, it's the same thing, but you really think about it. So, but not to ruin Pokemon for you if you haven't have been a fan, but that's kind of my perspective I've gained after having, you know, watched the cartoon when it was first getting started. Uh, and it was kind of cute and fun, but I was like, you know, this seems a little bit wrong somehow <laughs> but that's okay it's just a video game really this is where it came from it was from a video game there have been all kinds of games coming through and eventually they made a game called detective pikachu which uh if you watch a youtube channel called the completionist he recently went through and completed the game and it seems like the game isn't really that great or at least from an adult perspective maybe little kids are loving it but uh it's not really that great a game but it gave a good concept to develop a film and I gotta say, I had fun in this movie. Uh, the the characters are, you know, it is very cute, and it's it's definitely aimed at kids to be able to watch. But I think the adults can have a good time too. And they don't set the film up in a way where if you didn't know anything about Pokemon, that you'd be completely and totally confused. You get enough where you know you kind of pick up on things. They just kind of throw you into the world, and you kind of figure out how things go. And they explain it just enough, but they don't over-explain it so much to where people who are fans of Pokemon feel like, okay, why do I got to hear all this? I know all this. Yes, yes. Okay, fine. We're explaining it to all the adults. Blah, blah, blah. You know, you don't have that kind of thing going on. Although, you know, some of those early fans of Pokemon are probably adults and bringing their own small children into the movie at this point. Uh, but I, I, I can't get too much into the plot because I don't want to spoil anything. So let me just go with what they show you in the trailers uh, that you have Tim, who his father uh, has an accident and is supposedly dead. And he goes and meets because everybody has a partner Pokemon except for Tim. Tim doesn't want to have a partner Pokemon and he will explain that later on. But he meets his father's po partner Pokemon and he can understand what it says. And thus begins the adventure together. And the you know the Pikachu is being voiced by Ryan Reynolds. One thing also I find very weird about Pokemon is none of the Pokemon have a name other than what they are. So let's say you had a room full of Pikachus and you called out for your own personal Pokemon and said, "Hey Pikachu, um, how did the P Pokemon know which one you're talking to? Because they're all named Pikachu." So that's another weird thing about Pokemon, but we won't get into that. You just kind of have to let that go and just go with the movie. Uh, this is a film, as far as being a mystery, it's more similar to like a Harry Potter movie where uh, it's like the the next step or clue, whatever, kind of gets spoon-fed to them in some fashion. There's not really any real detective work. It's just kind of like, oh, look, we just discovered this, and I guess we're going to go here now because this thing told us to go there. So they just kind of follow along like that. So it's not complicated. You'll have things kind of figured out where they're going. It's, I mean, it's, it's fairly obvious in a lot of ways. Uh, there is, they do try to make some twists in there, but you kind of know that, well, I bet this is going to be a twist though, because you know, they don't want to make that that obvious, but the twists will also be a little bit obvious to an adult, but to a kid, this would be just a wild ride and the kid won't, oh, oh, what, what really? So, you know, it's aimed at kids. So if you just go in there to just have some fun, I think you're going to have some fun. Uh, I found it to be a very cute movie. I was very entertained. I enjoyed it. Uh, the plot of the villain is a little weak if you try to think about it too much, that he's not really doing anything evil. He's just kind of doing something that's probably unethical. And so it's probably wrong for him to do that, but it's not really an evil plot. So the you know villain is not like a strong villain. Uh, but it's still, it's very entertaining. Now, I, I did mention that I do have a Disney connection here. And that would be two of them. Bill Nighy plays an important character in the film. You might know him as being in the Pirates of the Caribbean films as Davy Jones. He also was in uh, the last couple Harry Potter films. Also, the music was done by one Henry Jackman, which you might know more importantly from the Wreck-It Ralph films. Both of them. He was the composer on both of those. So see, yes, there is a Disney connection. So if you, you try to be strictly Disney, you have an excuse to go and see this film. And I, I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I had a good time. Is it like epic scale of Avengers Endgame? No, but it is a whole lot of fun, and you're going to have a good time if you go. Uh, I, I really enjoyed it. I have seen some complaints about their lead uh, female actress not being that great, like her first line delivery is a really cheesy, and they are, but remembering the audience that they appear to be aiming for, I didn't mind so much that her, her acting seemed a little off. Because uh, Tim will meet Lucy, a reporter at the CNM 
uh, well, she's an intern. You find out later, right? She's trying to get make her break as a reporter, and she's trying to chase stories. And so far, all she gets to do is write up the. You know, it's kind of funny. She's got a bit where she got to write an article of the ten cutest Pokemon, and she complains about that because they're all cute. What the heck? So, and that's really what the big thing of this movie. It was very cute, and the Pokemon are very cute in this movie. And so that kind of brought me around through it. I was able to enjoy it. So yeah, definitely go bring the kids and have a good time. Now, another movie that I don't think you could bring the kids to because they wouldn't be able to follow along so well, uh, and it's a bit more serious, Tolkien. And it's it's got a PG-13 on it, but not because there's really objectionable content or anything. You know, if you wanted to bring your, your 13-year-old, that'd be fine, you know. Uh, younger than 13, they might get a little bored, maybe, because uh, it it's a biopic about J.R.R. Tolkien, John Ronald Rule Tolkien. And so you're getting kind of a life story, and it's very intriguing to uh, a, a more mature mind of, you know, watching through his life. But a younger kid is going to be bored, like, oh, this is the guy who wrote Lord of the Rings? Are there going to be hobbits in this movie? Please tell me there's hobbits. You know, I could see a kid getting very bored. And there was all, just a few adults in the theater. It was I went, you know, kind of, uh, I guess, early Saturday morning. There was just a few adults in there with my wife and I. And we all, everybody in the theater seemed to thoroughly enjoy the movie. My wife cried through the whole thing because that's what she does. And she thoroughly enjoyed the film as well. Uh, and it is a great movie, although it's probably not entirely factual correct. In fact, I did a little bit of research on Tolkien himself and read some biography. And the film did carry a lot of events that happened in Tolkien's life. But they don't necessarily happen in the order that they really happened. And they made, you know, moved a few things around for dramatic effect and for storytelling. And so they have altered a little bit of it. And this wasn't really done with full approval of, like, the Tolkien estate or anything. But it is done with great respect to Tolkien and his work. Although they didn't get into a lot of the, some of the details of all. I mean, there's books he's writing even before he starts writing The Hobbit. And poetry and all this other stuff that he's published. If you look at a, a good, you know, biography on him. Uh, you can find all this stuff. Uh, in fact, I would like to kind of lead you to the Tolkien Society, uh, which if you go to TolkienSociety.org, you can find lots of information about Tolkien. Uh, they got a lot of really good stuff. There's a blog, stuff about events, stuff about the author. There's a timeline of events and a pretty thorough biography uh, talking about the Inklings, which is a group uh, of friends that he met with later. Uh, some of the other books he did. I mean, there's a lot of information about Tolkien out there if you want to get like a pure factual point of view. Uh, overall, this film was, I mean, it, like I said, when I looked at the biography, it is pretty factual on some of the events that happened. It just doesn't quite get it into the point of when in his life these events happened. And I'm sure some extra detail was added. One detail that I, I, I don't know if it's true or not. But uh, they depict Tolkien in World War One, and he's trying to find one of his friends who is also fighting World War One, Jeffrey. Uh, and while he's looking, he's trying to go around to the front line looking for his friend. He's got a, a friend, uh, someone who's under him, uh, a subordinate or whatever, who is named Sam, who helps and takes care of Tolkien as he's going through this horrible landscape. Uh, and I don't know if that's something based off a real person. They don't mention him because at, at the end of the film, they do talk about what happens to some of the people. But it doesn't mention his friend Sam. So I hope it's a real story that there was a person named Sam that inspired Samwise Gamgee. But if not, it was a really nice artistic license. And I did enjoy that. With the research I've done, I can't find anything really that shows that Sam Hodges really existed. But you do get a little bit... Uh, it, we get the perspective mostly from World War One, and he flashes back to other times in his life, and you get to meet some friends he had when he was in school, which in his actual life came along later. Uh, but it goes through a lot of his life and ends, of course, at the beginning of when he starts to write The Hobbit. Uh, overall, I enjoyed the film. I thought it was very, very good. It's getting some... I'm seeing some mixed reviews uh, but in order to not really spoil the film for you, I mean, it's, it's limited release because it's Fox Searchlight. Instead of telling you what happens in the film, I thought I would take a note of a few things that happened in Tolkien's life and kind of tell you those things. And they do come up in the film. But the, right, So these are not necessarily what you're going to see in the film, but this is actual facts of Tolkien's life. He was born January 3rd in 1892, actually in South Africa. His father was a banker, and there was more promotion for him in South Africa. Now, he was actually uh, born three years after Edith Mary Bratt. She's going to come up later. And it is noted that, apparently, he doesn't have a lot of memories of South Africa. 
but he remembers a very scary encounter he had with kind of a large hairy spider. And it's noted by the Tolkien Society that this may help helped inspire some of the spiders that you will see in the Middle-earth stories. In 1894, he has a brother named Hilary Bourne. And then shortly after, 1895, uh, their mother, Mabel, takes the two sons back to England. And his father died in 1896 in South Africa. So I'm figuring there was some sort of illness that must have occurred. I don't really have any details. The, the movie doesn't even mention it. Uh, we, we get really sketchy details. I mean, they just know he's gone. Uh, but they lived just outside of Birmingham in the West Midlands. It's kind of a rural area. They depict it in the film as very foresty and very nice area for him to grow up. Uh, but he actually had more of a split life, in truth, between there and being in Normandy because he was actually sent to King Edward Edward's school and he was a fee-paying student at that boarding school when he was young and still grammar school age. Now, the movie depicts him as going as more of a high school age, so there's a change they made right there. So, he they moved over to Kings Heath, which is a suburb of Birmingham, and then in 1982, with the move to Birmingham, he starts going to St. Philip's Grammar School. See, so he's still in grammar school age. He's still very young at this time. And then later, Ronald, as he was known, he went by Ronald from what they said in the film and also what I was finding on the society, but he started getting educated at home instead. Until 1903, he got a scholarship and he goes back to King Edward's school. But then 1904, his mother, Mabel, was diagnosed with diabetes and dies that November. Now, they quickly gloss through this in the film. They just He comes home and she's dead. Uh, so you don't know what she died of. She just suddenly up and dies. And you're like, what in the world? So I didn't get an explanation until I looked at the biography. But, you know, of course, considering at this time in history, there wasn't a whole lot you could do with insulin and treatment and stuff. Uh, it's a little scary for me because I'm diabetic. So I'm like, wow, glad I have some medicine because I'm still alive. Uh, but they became the wards of Father Francis Morgan. Now, we do see uh, Father Morgan in the film. Uh, he's played really by someone you'll know from Star Trek The Next Generation. Uh, I believe his name is Colmini. Uh, I should have looked him up, but yes, I believe that is his name, Colmini. Uh, you're going to recognize him right away if you uh, watched uh, Star Trek The Next Generation. He's there. Uh, but he plays Francis Morgan, or Father Morgan, and the weird thing is they have him kind of taking care of the family at the very beginning when Mabel's still around, and it's, it makes it seem like it's his decision to have the family move to Birmingham for giving them a chance at a better life. That's the way that the film depicts it, but doesn't seem that Francis Morgan really shows up and gets too involved in life until their mother dies. Now, their mother was part of the Catholic Church in 1900, became fully into it, so they've probably known Father Morgan for a good long time, uh, and I'm sure he was a good friend of the family to where he became the wards of the two boys. But in 1905, they actually moved in with their Aunt Beatrice, and this is where Tolkien actually starts developing some of his own languages, which he's going to become known for later. Uh, but in the film, they kind of skip over this. 1908 is when they move in with Mrs. Faulkner. Now, this is in the movie. You see them moving in with Mrs. Faulkner, but he's a little bit older than what they show in the film. And this is where he meets Edith Bratt. Now, I don't know a whole lot of the truth of Edith Bratt, of what she was doing there, but the way the film depicts her is that she kind of works for Mrs. Faulkner and kind of a, a paid companion and plays piano for her and things like that. Uh, I don't know how much of that is truth and how much it was invented. I'm thinking there's probably quite a bit of truth in that. 1989, though, he fails to get a scholarship from Oxford because he and Edith have become very close, have a relationship together. And, you know, Father Morgan had kind of discovered the relationship, but and he seemed okay with it until he fails to get a, his scholarship and he figures he's been distracted by Edith. And they go into this in the film. Uh, so Father Morgan actually says, all right, until you're 21, you can't see her. Because at 21, you're no longer under my care. But it's like, it's I don't want anything getting in the way of your education. So, you know, it said in the biography that I read that Tolkien stoically stayed to that. But that had not had to have been a difficult time in his life. And in the film, they do play up the difficulty of it. Uh, 1911, Tolkien is a school librarian and forms the TCBS, known as T-Club Barovian Society, which was named after their meeting place at the Barrow Stores. And they continue to correspond closely and exchange and criticize each other's literary work until 1916. So this goes on for at least five years. Now, this is the heart of the Tolkien film, is these friends. And they have a depict where he makes these friends when he's younger and still has them. But no, he's actually getting pretty close to college age here when he forms this group. And 
I don't know how accurate all these other people are represented that are in the group that you see in the film, but you have a, one who's a painter, one who's a, a composer, and one who is a, a poet. So you have uh, Robert and Christopher and Jeffrey are these friends, which they did get the names directly from, you know, their actual people. So, and they will come up later, but they, they in real life, it happened much later than what they represent in the film. 1911. Now, before he starts going to Oxford, he visits Switzerland and he goes to see mountains. Now, this is important. They mentioned the biography that this seems to have inspired the Misty Mountains is seeing the mountains of Switzerland. But then that fall in 1911 is when he actually started school at Oxford. 1913, on his 21st birthday, he writes a letter to Edith and they're engaged. The film goes a slightly different path on that for dramatic purposes, but this is what is represented in the biography I found here on the Token Society. 1913, in the summer, he accompanies two Mexican boys. He's, he's tutoring these two boys, and he went, goes with their aunts over to Paris. One aunt is somehow killed tragically. I couldn't find out exactly what happened, but Tolkien really never liked France anyway, and this kind of solidified his dislike of France, uh, as if he wasn't going to end up learning to dislike France even later during World War I, which begins very shortly after... And Tolkien actually stays in school and finishes his degree in 1915 instead of rushing off to the war. Before he actually did go to the war, he did marry Edith March 22nd, 1916. Uh, very differently displayed in the, the film. They did that dramatic license thing again. But he got married before he went off to war, which makes a lot more sense to me than what they did in the film. Uh, because people did that when they went off to these big wars and everything. Like before they run off, they'd marry their sweetheart. You know, because they didn't know if they would get a chance to, you know, because you don't know if you're coming back. Uh, he did see some active duty on the Western Front and was actually there in time for the Somme Offensive before he was succumbed to trench sickness four months later. Uh, now, the Somme Offensive, they do represent that in the film. That's uh, You see the British going up over and leaving the trench. Uh, and he's, uh, in that time, though, Rob Gilson, who was the painter, friend of his, of the TCBS, and Jeffrey Smith, the poet, both died in the war. Tolkien then returned to England England because he's ill and he can't fight the war while he's that ill. Uh, and it mentions that after you know Mary, he's spending getting to spend time with Edith and he watches her dance in a hemlock grove and he gets inspired to write Baron and Luthien by her. Now they do sort of do this. They have him, you know, spending time with her when they're both teenagers, and she would kind of dance around this forest, and you'd see some shots of that. You know, but they show it happening a lot earlier than it really happened. But it is very nice that that does very nice that that inspires the Baron and Luthien story. Which, by the way, May fourth they have published that specific story. Now I've gotten to read that story because if you read the Cimmerillion, it's part of that. But I'm very interested in the expanded work that Tolkien had, and his, his son Christopher, who, yes, named after his friend Christopher, has been working and editing all the things that his father had written that had never really been published. And that has just recently come out. I would like to go get a copy of that one. But anyways, moving right along, uh, he was uh, while he's in the hospital, because he's kind of in and out, you know, he's very sick until he got better. Uh, of course, you know, you're sick until you get better. That was a great sentence. But while he's in there, he's actually writing and develop. He's writing a bunch of stuff. He's already written and published a bunch of things by this time. But he starts developing a gnomish language while he's in the hospital. You know, give his active brain something to do, I guess. 1918, he returns to Oxford to work on the dictionary. You, you heard of the Oxford Dictionary? He worked on it in 1918, or at least that version of it. I'm sure it's been updated a lot since then. 1926, this is important. He met C.S. Lewis. Famous for the Narnia films. Uh, this became one of his best friends. Uh, C.S. Lewis was an atheist at the time, and Tolkien actually led him to Christ. <laughs> him and a friend. You know, it, was, it wasn't just Tolkien alone. There was another friend who was in there that kind of reasoned with C.S. Lewis and talked to him. And, you know, C.S. Lewis now, uh, a lot of his writings, other than Narnia, he's known as one of the first and greatest Christian apologists. Basically, that's where you you're writing stuff kind of in defense of Christianity and the beliefs of Christianity. He's gotten so many books and he explains Christianity in different, different books, like the screw tape letters and some, I've got a collection of stuff. Uh, so the, you know, it's not just Narnia that C.S. Lewis wrote. He he was a prolific writer with lots of different things uh, and a very good work. Uh, very interesting. You can learn a lot from him, you know, so moving along though, this, this is what I find interesting. So in 1930, one of his students, cause he's a professor at Oxford at this time, but one of his students was writing an essay, like a final paper, and accidentally left a blank page in there. Tolkien kind of gets distracted, I guess, but writes on that paper, in a hole in the ground, there lived a hobbit. And it mentions in the biography 
But he then had to go figure out what a hobbit was. So he starts kind of developing, you know, a lot more of his characters. I mean, he had a lot of these ideas before, and he'd already written little bits and pieces of things. But suddenly, there's a hobbit. Uh, and he noted he needed to figure out what the hobbit was. And so 1933, we're moving along ahead. The Inklings, which included C.S. Lewis and other friends, kind of gets together. And they're all basically sharing their work. Now, I have read at previous times that... Uh, Tolkien was always just a little bit jealous of C.S. Lewis because C.S. Lewis was just knocking books out, you know. And Tolkien, it took him some time to finish The Lord of the Rings. As The Hobbit gets published September 21st, 1937. So it's four years after he messed with the English. The Hobbit gets published. Now, The Fellowship of the Ring doesn't get published until 1954. But all that time in between, The Hobbit was so successful that... It was asked for him to write up a sequel. So he thought, well, oh, there's this other idea of having this War of the Ring. And actually, he, you know, at one point, he even written out the, the full Cimmerillion and tried to get that published and couldn't get that going. And he tries to work all these different arrangements to get other things published. But he just takes that section. And it was going to be a long volume. You know, it was going to be a huge book, all one book, before the publisher decided, well, what if we break this into three and we subtitle these and we would just release them pretty close to each other they were released. Uh, you know, they had like two, I think the first two books were released both in 1954 and then 1955's Return of the King. And it's very soon after that you've got the BBC doing radio versions of these books. I mean, they really did catch on very quickly. And there's a whole other story without, in the United States, that there were some pirated versions before they got a, an American publisher, Hofton Mifflin, to actually start publishing the books here. And then it became this weird cult status where people would get high on LSD or whatever and read the books. And these were the same people who uh, made some other films popular that weren't that popular, you know, beforehand. Even uh, uh, there's a, at least one Disney film. I think Alice in Wonderland was one of the ones that when it was released wasn't popular, but during like the 60s, people would get high and start watching it and it became this big hit for them. Yeah, so they liked things that were a little fantastic at the time, and uh, Tolkien never quite approved of that uh, for version of reading his book, but he was yet also flattered that people were reading the books. Uh, but, you know, with all the time it took him to write the Lord of the Rings and having C.S. Lewis getting all these Narnia books out and all these other ones, he all he apparently did kind of think, like, man, my goodness, you're just getting all this stuff out, and I'm still tirelessly working on this book. Uh, but I'm very glad that he did go and write the uh, well, what became three books and all the other works. There's so many books out there, and some of it is still in print that you can get, including uh, I, apparently it is still out there somewhere. But he had written letters as Father Christmas to his children, and all these letters got collected together and published as a book. I would actually like to read that. That would be a fun Christmas read. But uh, So some of these events you will see depicted in the film... Uh, but not quite in the right order. A lot of this stuff that I went over is not shown in the film. I kind of wish they would have shown him meeting C.S. Lewis, but it wasn't important to the plot. The main plot, really, of the film involves this fellowship he has with these boys in the TCBS, and they made them a focal point, even though they only really had their club for about five years, but I'm sure he did keep in touch with them. Uh, although it does mention at the end of the film that he and Christopher kind of uh, drifted apart, and of course the other two uh, were killed in the war. But overall, yes, I did enjoy this film, and I do recommend it. Uh, I think you should probably go and check it out if you're a fan of The Lord of the Rings or Tolkien himself. Uh, I think you would enjoy it, so go check it out. Thank you for listening to the Neverland Podcast. We invite you back next week for more fun and adventure. Until then, remember to keep a pixie in your pocket. It's that young at heart, positive attitude that you can share with others. And remember to visit our website at NeverlandPodcast.com. There you can find links to our news page, our shop, our contact page, where you can easily send an email to podcast at NeverlandPodcast.com. You can also find our Neverlanders page, where you can find out how to become an official lost boy or pixie, because girls are too clever to get lost. Become a real Neverlander! Please feel free to leave us a voicemail at 816-226-6492. And be sure to follow us on Twitter at NeverlandPCast. And like our Neverland Podcast fan page on Facebook. We also have a group on Facebook for you to join. We also appreciate your support to keep the Neverland Podcast up and running. Visit Patreon.com slash NeverlandPodcast to donate to Keeping the Pixie Dust Alive. Copyright content featured on the Neverland podcast is copyright of their respective creators and used under fair use license. All original content is copyright of Blue Band Productions and a very special thanks to Yeehaw Bob Jackson at yeehawbob.com for our new ending music. God, God bless! bless. Yeah!
is Yeehaw Bob Jackson. Neverland Podcast, we love you. Neverland Podcast, we love you. Neverland Podcast, it's true. Neverland Podcast, we love you. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Catch those springtime vibes all over Arizona. Break out of the winter blues by hitting the water at one of our lake and river parks. Take a hike among the wildflowers. Just make sure to stay on the trails and leave the flowers for the bees. Discover Arizona's best kept secret and visit azstateparks.com slash amazing to start your springtime adventure.